I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is professor and author Ed Tronick, Ph.D. His new book is The Power of Discord, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust. Many of us may think that perfect harmony is the defining characteristic of healthy relationships, but the truth is that human interactions are messy, complicated, and confusing. And according to renowned psychologist Ed Tronick, Ph.D., and pediatrician Claudia Gold, that is not only okay, but it is also actually crucial to our social and emotional development. Working through the volley of mismatch and repair in everyday life helps us form deep, lasting, trusting relationships, resilience in times of stress and trauma, and a solid sense of self in the world. Dr. Tronick is a developmental a developmental and clinical psychologist, has been featured by Nova, 60 Minutes, The New York Times, The Boston Globe, and speaks to audiences worldwide. Welcome to the show, Dr. Tronick. Ed, if I can call you Ed. Please, please do, and I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you. Great, great to have you here. All right, well, this is this is kind of opposite your book. You know, we need to be messy. We things don't work. You know, harmony is not necessarily what we should be seeking in order to establish really long-lasting, trusting, resilient relationships. Um, both, you know, all the many of the books now that are out are, you know, how to be happy, how to do the right thing. You know, it's all about perfection. But what you're saying is an entirely, or it seems to be, a very different message. It, it is a different message. Uh, the the message that everything has to be perfect and smooth um, misses really some very significant aspects about the nature of our relationships. Uh, In our studies, for example, of mother-infant interactions, which I first went into believing in that kind of perfect synchrony between mothers and infants. After all, we have uh, the Madonna and child and uh, that kind of view of the world. Um, And what we found was that in terms of matching or attunement or synchrony, whatever word you'd like to choose, that Um, mothers and infants were only in tune with one another about 30% of the time. And that was pretty, pretty surprising to me. And I had to figure out what were they doing the rest of the time? What was the nature of, of the interaction and, and what might its implications be? So uh, that's what we're talking about. The other 70% of the interactions between mother and child, which is filled with discord and, disharmony or whatever you want to, as a mother of three boys and three young grandchildren, I get that. And I, (laughs) (laughs) I understand it from a person, you know, personal experiences, but in terms of the research, how does that, let's, I don't know if you call it fast forward, but okay, mother and child, Mm -hmm. their relationship, 70% of the time is not in harmony. So how does that affect us as adults or as a society? Because I'm assuming that's where we're going. Well, it probably affects us as adults in two ways. One is the kind of experience we had as infants and young child children um, in terms of resolving or repairing those mismatches has a long-term effect on how we see relationships. And the second is that adult relationships, um, 
I've looked at those and I've worked with um, any number of people who, who work on adult, study adult relationships, that adult relationships show the same kind of uh, level of attunement, 30, 40%. It varies really widely between couples, but there are large proportions of time that um, are mismatching. When one person is doing one thing, the other person is doing another thing. And the critical, I think the critical event is how you repair those mismatches. All right, let's talk about how you repair them, because you're saying that the mismatches are a good thing, and they help to improve the connections that we need with each other, with our partners, with our colleagues, whomever. But, um, yeah, so how does that happen? What's the process? Can you give us, like, because I know in the book you have your research, but also real-life examples, because I think that's what people can connect to. Sure. Um, If you begin to think about your adult relationship, perhaps your your most trusting and um, maybe most intimate relationship, um, you're, you're with your partner, or I was seeing couples. So the couple is together, and um, one of them um, receives um, on their iPhone, of course, um, a message that's really positive, and they're really excited about it, and they're the... Um, the, the, the partner is distracted by something else. And all of a sudden, there's this really, in a sense, big mismatch between them. One partner is really excited, wants to communicate, wants to connect. And the other one is distracted by, by something else. And um, all of a sudden, the person who is not being listened to, is not being heard, feels... Um, not necessarily consciously, but they feel rejected. And they say something like, okay, well, forget it. I don't even want to talk to you. And then the other person is saying, no, 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 what's going on here? And if they work at it, they'll figure out a way, as we all do, to repair that. Finally, one of them says, no, I'm really sorry. The other one says, oh, I was really distracted. I really want to hear this. And they move on. And what they've done is gone from a mismatch, which has been generating stress and anger between them and annoyance with one another, to resolving that um, in a way that allows them to reconnect with one another. And I think in our most trusting relationships, when we come into that relationship, we have a history of being able to repair the interactions. So when there is a blip, when there is a discord that occurs, on both sides, the two individuals both have a sense that, oh, we can deal with this. I know we want to try and do this. And whatever is going on, figure out the words or the gestures or the hugs that allow for moving on, that you really trust the other person to want to connect with you. And you know that from your past history of repairs and building trust into the relationship. Uh, So that 
And that starts with, well, we'll say the mother and the baby and the family and, and being in, and not getting into these, I guess, rigid patterns of behavior. Allow the discord. Yeah. And right. You, well, you know, with the mother with the mother and the babies, what you what you see is the mother is, for example, looking at the infant and the infant is looking off to the side. And then the mother tries to get the baby's attention and the baby looks at her but then continues to look away. Um, and then the mother um, does something like plays a little game that the two of them have played together and they both smile at each other and they connect and they play the game together. And what the infant is learning, and this becomes part of yourself as an adult, the infant learns that, one, we can be disconnected we, my mother and I, can be disconnected or my partner, you know, my parent and I can be disconnected, but we can figure out how to get reconnected. The other thing that the infant learns, which I think is, is really critical for adults, is that a stressful feeling, a negative feeling, can be changed into a positive feeling. And I know from my clinical work with adults, one of the things that adults come into um, therapy for is they say, I'm stuck in this feeling. I can't change my feelings. Um, you know, I have this feeling of anger at my partner. I have this terrible feeling of sadness. But I'm not able to change that feeling. And I think that comes from really our earliest experience during our earliest part of development, where if you haven't had the experience of changing negative emotions, stress, anger, frustration into positive emotions with a partner, then when you're an adult, you come with an, an unconscious attitude that I'm stuck in this feeling. There is nothing I can do about that. Well, it's interesting. I'm, I think I'm quoting you, but you've said that you can find hope in uncertainty. And I think that's really mm-hmm. a, a critical statement, at least to me. You know, in, instead of, you call it the tyranny of certainty, certainty mm-hmm. leads us away from growth rather than towards it. So uh, it, it mm-hmm. leads us into potentially dangerous places. Okay, having said that, can we rate this, relate this now to society and where we are right now? Because we have, it seems to me, the ty- tyranny of, of, uh, mm-hmm. of certainty, certainty on both sides of the aisle, whether it's political, whether it's about vac- you know, getting vaccinated mm-hmm. for COVID or anti-vaxxers or wearing masks and not wearing masks. And, and so it seems to me we're uh, doing exactly the opposite as a society is what you're saying is important for us to do in order to connect and to accept one another. Yes. I, I think that's a really accurate description. And what I mean by when you use the phrase, the tyranny of certainty, if you're absolutely certain that you're correct, then you're going, in a sense, to be doing the same thing every time. Other information doesn't lead to discord. It doesn't lead to a disruption of what's going on. If you're of whichever political, you know, persuasion you are, wherever you, wherever you fit along that line, if you know, and I, 
would put the no in capital letters. If you're absolutely certain that your perspective is correct, then no information, nothing happens that can disrupt that belief. And so, in a sense, you're absolutely rigid and you're not going to change. Whereas, if you believe that you're correct, but at the same time recognize that there might be other information that would be helpful to you in understanding things or that might even challenge what you're doing, then you have the possibility of taking in new information that doesn't match what you're thinking and you process it and think about it and maybe it generates some change in the way you see you're seeing whatever the particular situation is. And can I give you a per, per, an example? Like one of my sure. own examples, okay? Sort mm-hmm. of uh, the masking and the not masking. That's a big thing. I'm here in New York City. I, mm-hmm. do, I take a lot of public transportation. I just flew out. I was in L.A. I came back. I just went to Baltimore yesterday on the train. And there's always, mm-hmm. it seems to me, one or two people who – refuse to wear a mask or they pretend that they're eating, for instance, for an hour, so, you mm-hmm. know, eating a <laughs> piece of popcorn. And I, at some point, I have to say something. And I do now. Uh, I've gotten quite brave about it. But I truly believe I'm one of those people. I think I'm right. So I yesterday mm-hmm. tapped this couple on the shoulder and I said, you know, I don't want to say anything, but you've been eating for 45 minutes. Are you going to put on your masks? Well, mm-hmm. you know, I, hopefully they weren't going to shoot me. They didn't. They said, okay, we just finished eating, and they, they did put on their mask. So it seems to yes. me I'm always in that position now because I – are they going to change – if I – should I be understanding? Mm-hmm. Should I – what do I do? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think ex- what you're describing is exactly what happens. You, you, you challenge what's going on, and what are the feelings that it generates – and you, you realize that there's a mismatch between what you think should be going on and what they think should be going on. And what are the feelings that get generated into you? You become afraid. You become worried about what's going to happen. Is, is someone going to be really reactive and then angry back at me? Um, and on their side, as soon as you raise this question, you don't know necessarily what they're thinking, and maybe these people responded uh, really well, but someone else you know, might say, well, it's up to me, or they just might react because they're not prepared to react, and all of a sudden, you're in a real struggle with them. Um, some, you've triggered their reaction, and they've triggered your reaction, and at that point, um, I think what you need to do is you need to step back and change my and, seat, <laughs> and 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 figure out. I think it's a real challenge for you. I understand why you're saying this, and might you know would want to say this, but it's a real challenge for you as to. And I bet you thought about it a lot. How to say this to the individuals such that you don't generate that angry reaction from them. Um, and it can be really difficult to figure, to figure that out. Um, and 
what happens in terms of learning how to repair mismatches is you begin to develop ways with particular individuals of repairing um, mismatches. I mean, there are people who um, are masters, really, uh, at repairing mismatches in interpersonal relationships. And there are people who are really poor at it. Um, uh, And part of that is that, uh, for the most part, they haven't had a lot of experience. And they begin to, as soon as they want to challenge someone or there is a mismatch, right away they're very angry and they're saying this other person is wrong. And certainly we see that in the politics uh, all the time, how difficult it is to to talk with our neighbors. Um, you know, what, what's the rule at Thanksgiving? Don't bring up politics. Um, uh, so... Uh, it's actually broke. I mean, I think at least in the context of what's happened, um, well, politics, COVID, families have not had Thanksgivings together or Christmas or Hanukkah mm-hmm. or whatever. They've really just you know, not engaged. Right. Yeah. And that obviously is not a good thing. So, well, one, uh, of, one yeah. of the things that's happened, I think because of the pandemic and maybe you experiences certainly my wife and I have experienced it is that we were we were in very cautious lockdown for uh, a, more than more than a year um, and when we went out into social situations again back for example in the summer when it seemed things were letting up you know it was as if our social muscles had atrophied um, you know, if we were with individual, if we were with people for two hours, we were exhausted. And I really felt like I'm not sure. I, you know, what do you say when you're meeting new people? What do you do with them? <laughs> how do how do you how do you make it work again? Um, and for all of us, uh, I I think that is something that's really been compromised by by the pandemic um, and. And it'll create more problems because we'll be less able to to work with one another and to um, you know to engage the messiness of interactions. I think that's so true, and it is a re- a relearning process and also learning new ways of interacting with mm-hmm. people. Like the example you just gave, when you meet somebody new, I I've, this has happened to me a couple times in public situations, and they want to shake my hand and I, I won't, I said, I, I don't shake hands. <laughs> I, you know, I just yeah. don't. And I'm getting bolder at being able to say that and be friendly. I'm not mm-hmm. being antagonistic or I went to a friend's house and the other woman there was just going to give me a, a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And I, I stepped back. Backed away. Can be, yeah. It can be viewed as, 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 you know, a very nasty gesture, but it's not. I have to yes. explain myself, which I do. Uh, there are all those mm-hmm. new kinds of interactions that really, Mm-hmm. Um, are a challenge, and uh, they really fit into your book, The Power of Discord, mm-hmm. I have to say. Yeah. Right. Well, if if you think about it with your friend, and we all have this, there are friends that we greet in a particular kind of way, you know, a big hug. Um, you know, we hold them for two or three or five seconds. There are other people who we sort of give a hug to, 
but we all have, in a sense, routines that we're expecting. Well, what happens when you violate that routine, that you don't hold them quite long enough? Um, I, infants um, are amazingly sensitive to um, sort of the behavior and the gestures of the adults that they're working with. Um, we, we do this experiment called the still face experiment where we ask mothers or fathers playing with their infant to just not respond, kind of freeze up and be still while they're interacting with the infant. And the infants pick up that the parent has changed in under two seconds, under one second. They immediately respond to what's going on and they get upset and they try to elicit the parent to come back and play with them again. Well, with adults, we tend to rely a lot on language, but an under an underappreciated or underlying phenomenon is that we too still have those capacities that the infant has. And we respond. If someone doesn't give you that hug that you really expect, your experience is I'm being rejected. They don't they don't care for me as much. Something's wrong. Um, it could be any of a number of possible things. But now you have a mismatch, and now it's something that has to be overcome. So I, I think when you say to your friend, um, "Oh, I'm you know because of COVID, I'm I'm not doing any hugs. I'm really you know worried about this, and I'm sorry, and you know I would love to give you a hug, um, but I can't do it. I'm too worried." Um, you know, that's your making up the repair and thinking about their feelings and what's going on for them in, in terms of um, how, how you're, what you're doing and trying to give them a clearer interpretation of what it is that you're doing. Exactly. And don't just say, don't touch me. That's not a good way of repairing. Um, (laughs) Not the right thing to do. And I just have, we only have a couple minutes left, but I just, I did watch the, uh, and I knew of the study that the mother and the infant and mother playing with the infant and then stopping and just not responding. Cause that's a very powerful, I watched it on YouTube. And as a mother, Mm -hmm. it was really difficult to watch because watching the mother sort of in this deadpan and the baby, you know, deadpan face and the baby trying to attract her attention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful piece of research, but, right. um, well, one, one thing to appreciate about it is while the infant is reacting to the mother being in deadpan and not reacting to her and people can see this on YouTube in terms of they go to my name and the still face, one of the really critical things about it, which, by the way, it took me some years to fully appreciate, was that and when I the mother resumed... And I hate to interrupt resumed, you, but we have, doctor, we have one minute left, so I, I, okay. I don't like to interrupt, but, yeah, I want you to give us a website. Well, I was just going to say so they, that yeah. when the mother does start to interact again, the baby and the mother repair the interaction, mm-hmm. and yes. they get back together. And yes. It's uh, really fast. Um, And if you want, um, if people go to UMass Boston and University of Massachusetts Boston, just put in my name, they'll um, 
they'll be able to go to these links and to the websites. Right. Well, it's great having you on the show today. I really enjoyed our interview, and uh, I recommend the book, The Power of Discord, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust. Very important now where we are, not just as individuals, but as a society. And the author is Dr. Mm -hmm. Ed Tronick, Ph.D. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 